The time is now. Oh, no, 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 no. No, look, you can't sleep in that bedroom with its thinking of sealant. No, no, we are very much at the foothills of this job. Foothills? Steve, what are you on about? I've got to soak and soften the brushes. I've got to, I've got to soak the rollers. I've got to scrape the tray. I've got to make sure that I have sanded the damp spot and that it is definitely dried out. No, no, no. Now we're a good while off me dipping my four inch. And say that again. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 290 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that came perils so close to forgetting to write an intro this week. I'm Gavin. And I am a makeup artist. Are you indeed? I am. I am. No black eyeshadow this time. Because that's where you went wrong last time, right? That's where I went wrong last time, yes. That's good, you've learned. <laughs> I've learned. S- still we will be pleased. Yes. Well, it helped that her dress was green and not black this time. <laughs> and green eyeshadow is fine. Okay, good. Yes, well, I was watching Coronation Street today. I was also curling hair and applying eyeshadow. I've got a feeling that I'm going to be able to say anything during my notes. That's not true. I was watching. Stelly and I were both watching. She hates Billy. She does. <laughs> she and I were watching the trailers <laughs> as we came back from the, the ball and so been exposed to, or she's been exposed to quite a bit of British TV today then. Well, I mean... She exposes herself to plenty of British television. Maybe we should rephrase that. <laughs> She's on a Matthew Baton kick at the moment. A who? Matthew Baton. Who's Matthew Baton? Isn't it, isn't it Baton, the guy from Ghosts, who is also in Horrible Histories and in um, Wonka? He's the bad guy who throws up every time somebody says the word poor. I don't think I knew his name. Bainton. Yeah. I don't think really? I knew his name. Because she's been saying it over and over and over again because to what she, she is obsessed with him at the moment. Forget David Tennant. Matthew Baton has taken over. Bainton. Yeah, that's what I said. Bainton. Bainton is what you, that sounds like you're saying. Uh, well, I'm an American. There's a n in there. This is this is the guy who sings the King Charles II song on Horrible Histories. So that's why she's memorized that song. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't think I ever knew what his name was. He's good. Yeah. I mean, he's no David Tennant, but right. he's good. Yeah. I mean, she still loves David Tennant. He's no Tennant. Simon Farnaby, but he's good. <laughs> he's not as funny as Simon Farnaby. But nobody is. I don't think that man's got the writing of Paddington 2 in his head. <laughs> Simon Farnaby? Yeah, I think he probably has. Simon Farnaby is, is a, a gift to creation. He is a national treasure. and He is, I think, reaching Nash treasure levels. Yes, seriously. If he keeps making these movies with, what's his name, the, the Paddington... And Wonka guy. I mean, he was, I, he was already beloved to me, but, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, because of Ma- Matthew Baton, Stelly watched 
Bainton. All, all of all of like all of the UK ghost ghosts series mm-hmm. like in one day. She just woke up on a Saturday, turned it on, and then turned it off and went to sleep again. <laughs> and at the end of the day. This is a good thing about British TV shows is that six episodes and out. Yeah. So it is possible to watch the entire season in three hours. Right. It doesn't take the 12 hours that an American season typically takes. Well, American seasons are starting to get trim as well. And a lot of Americans have been complaining about it. How have you been lately? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, a, a tough, old, boring week at work. <laughs> so how have you been? You were stressed out last week. Yeah. Well, the auction's over, so... <laughs> I feel like I kind of goaded you into that auction talk. I know, you did. My finger was poised before I I said anything. I wasn't even going to say anything about it. Then you're like, boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the auction was Sunday. Um, It it went all right. My boss is happy, so I am happy. You know, and uh, we had a, we had pickup. We're having pickup tomorrow. And then we had pickup on Tuesday. And at Tuesday at pickup. One of the guys who was coming in to pick some things up said, hey. What's the matter with you? No. He said, hey, I've got quite a few horror and exploitation movie posters from the 60s and the 70s. Would you be interested in them for your next auction? And I said, no. Yes, please. That's zero for two so far. Yes, Please. Turkish exploitation movies? I know those are your favorite. <laughs> no, I think these are mostly American this time around. Oh boo. But still, I'm I'm quite I'm quite excited to get my hands on them. I uh I already texted our friend Nathan Tyree of the of the Bloodfest podcast and said, Hey, just a heads What's up. What's the matter with you? No. Oh. Just a heads up. I know you didn't get the welcome back Cotter vinyl case from this auction but there might be some things you might be interested in in the next one so keep an eye out for that so yeah just plugging along working on the next one working through a whole bunch of science fiction pulps which are which are fun they have really pretty covers and everything very mid-century modern sci-fi sort of things from the 50s and a few from the 40s which is fun so yeah, that's, that's my life. Wonderful. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that exploitative Cory news. <laughs> Stephanie Davis, a.k.a. Courtney Boobs, uh-huh. has posted on Insta that her new single she recorded in Memphis will be released soon. So looking people forward... people still buy singles? Yeah, you can buy them on... Um, on the iTunes? On the iTunes. Or on Spotify. And she makes like half a penny at, for every download. What a world we live in. What a world we live in. Have you listened to it? Indeed. No, it hasn't been released yet. Oh, I thought maybe it you will would be get re- a, a sneak preview. Released soon. Hey. if A Cory News exclusive. Stephanie, if you're listening. God damn it. It's been nearly six years. We should have a Cory News exclusive by now. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I don't know how to get... I, I we should we should get their press releases. I and but I don't know how I don't know who to contact on the show to 
get on that particular list. But you're right. We should be on that list. I need to buy a Trilby hat that has a card that says press on it. Put into the little ribbon that goes around the hat. And talk like I, this, I can, see? I can, I can just do that anyway. And then run to a payphone. And then get like a camera with a big, massive flash on top of it. It's a scoop. <laughs> I want this to happen before the next Chesney hit self and face with Brick Day. Tommy O is back. Yes, he is. But did you know actor Matt Milburn, who plays him, is the brother of Greg Wood, a.k.a. Rick the Chin? I'm pretty sure this has been on Courageous before. I don't think so. I think it has. Apparently, one got the chin and the other got the forehead in the <laughs> DNA lottery. O-R-P-I-N-G-T-O-N Tommy Orpington <laughs> See, in Aloha terms, that song is A-L-B-I-O-N Fuck your sterling, I'll be in Something, something and a kiss from me to you Won't <laughs> you say you love me too? Yes Barney <laughs> sings Profane laden songs to yes. still an Albion fans. But he still loves them. And that's <laughs> Somebody clip that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the clip. Oh, and finally, Alan Halsall has pet posted pics of his ACL recovery as he goes through physical therapy exercises 12 weeks in. He'll be dusting off his beloved Michigan t-shirts in no time. Yes, he will. Huzzah! There was a little bit of chatter about this on Reddit. Haha. <laughs> about his, uh, what was it, the Kalmuth? Kalmuth? Kalmuth, Michigan? Kalmuth. Yeah. Shirt they had on the other week. Like, where does he get all these shirts from? Uh-huh. So I said, well, actually. One of them. <laughs> one of them was, and I sent them. Uh-huh. Sent one over, didn't send this one, sent the other one over. And, mm-hmm. and people were joyfully confused by this. I was like, how do you even do that? I said, well, you just write to ITV Studios. Right. We sent them a large. I think it might have been a little bit too big, but the medium was probably too small. Right. So yeah. now there's a. MSU Spartans t-shirt. Now he's going to get a glut of so t-shirts. Now, exactly. Now there seems to be interest in selling, sending them t-shirts from all corners of America, every small town you can you can name. I was just thinking we should have sent him a Detroit Lions T-shirt. Ah, see, I don't, I don't know that he would get away with that. I don't know that he would get away with that. Yeah, NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the NCAA is probably more litigious than the NFL, but I don't know that they. I don't know that the show knows that. Right. <laughs> the show probably knows. About the NFL and stuff, so right, yeah. Game Rapids is what we should have sent them. Right, absolutely, yes. But you know, any any anything to promote the fact that our beloved Detroit Lions may win a Super Bowl this oh, year. So you've jinxed it now. Can't help it. As a lifelong Boston Red Sox fan, I just delight in being once again in a place where a team that has lost. A lot. Not as much as the Red Sox, but a lot. It's not like a century, but it's a couple of decades. And now... Well, they've never won the Super Bowl. Right. But but they've been to the playoffs before. Very infrequently. Right. 
But the last time was like the 90s, so it wasn't like going from 1918 to... No, the last time that they won a playoff game was the 90s. They've been at the playoffs and lost. Right. I'm talking about winning. Don't don't keep on saying right when what I'm saying is contradicting what you're saying. Eh. (laughs) Or do. But but Your choice. But it's not like going from 1918 to, to 2006 sort of thing. It's shorter. <laughs> it is definitely shorter. <laughs> that is what she said. <laughs> and that's Corey News. And that's Corey News. And talk of the Detroit Lions and the, or if you prefer, the Detroit Lions. Detroit. And their uh, march to the championship game this weekend. Yes, against the 49ers. Of San Francisco. Yes. That leads us seamlessly into our feedback section, which I like to call Everyone's a Critic. Mm. Neve on YouTube and then Chloe on Twitter said the same thing. <laughs> Space hoppers. Space hoppers? Space hoppers. As we were discussing means of transport last week, I was talking about that big ball with the horns on it that you bounce along. Oh. And we couldn't name it. And then you mentioned something else and we never came back to it. Mm-hmm. They're space hoppers. And that's that's correct. Okay. Then Gail Platt loves olives on Spotify said, love auction talk. One of my favourite sections <laughs> of the podcast. So I fear that Gail Platt loves olives is maybe listening to the wrong podcast. Oi! Oh. And then we got another review on the iTunes from Sharon. This was a UK review. Ooh. Entitled... Cobbledygook. You see what she's in there? I do. So this could go either, either way. way at this point, right? <laughs> oh my god, I bloody love you two. Oh, found this by accident. Oh so that means god. so that means that all that money that I spend on advertising is doing its job. <laughs> so look forward to the new podcast each week. But I'm happily catching up with the old ones as well. I listened abroad and didn't need to watch when I got home. So funny and such comprehensive information about all things Corey and everything in between. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you so much, Sharon. That means an awful lot. Absolutely. We haven't had an awful lot of reviews on the iTunes recently. Y'all get... Do that, people. Y'all better get on that. And thanks to Gail Platt and Tineve also for their feedback, which is always welcome. Yes. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com and our DMs are always open at Corey Podcast. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. We're drinking our own coffees this week. <gasps> well, we Except got we're not. we got positive feedback. I guess that's enough. That's arguably even better than a coffee. Yes, I'm drinking cranberry juice. I was intending to drink tomato juice, but I forgot to pour any. <laughs> I do this all the time. I buy tomato juice and then I have a glass of it. And then and you then forget kinda, it's there. That kind of does me for for the rest of the year. I really like it. But I don't always hanker for it mm-hmm. in portions of more than one glass. Yeah. So I'm drinking... Understandable. Canada Dry. Maybe you should stick a s- celery stock in it and put some Worcestershire Tabasco. Worcestershire sauce is what needs Worcestershire, to go yeah. Mm-hmm. We, I think we have Worcestershire. We always. <laughs> Hella. We always have Worcestershire sauce. This is true. I grew up in a house that always had Worcestershire sauce in it as well. It's difficult to say 
and then not sound like Sean Connery afterwards, apparently. <laughs> the Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, Miss Money Penny, and you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the Talk of the Street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, oi, remember, you can always support the podcast for free. Get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Yes. Like the lovely Sharon did. Yes. Wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Welcome to the Daisyverse. Well, this had something to do with Daisy and her universe on social media. That's right, this was Daisy's mum's insistence of Daisy being a bit self-centred. Daniel was trying to do something nice that backfired. Welcome to the Daisyverse, said her mum. Yeah, she sucks. I was Gavin, and you were an accessory to Moida. I have no idea what that means. You sold a creepy as fuck 100-year-old doll for 100 bucks. I did. That you got a message from the new owner who said that they were going to tear the head off it as soon as they got it. Yes. But not like that. (laughs) Ah, I really liked that doll too. Mm -hmm. I liked his head. He had a nice head. Doesn't anymore. (laughs) No. We'd put together our Swain video that week that had attracted some praise from a script editor on Corey and a like from Vicky Myers. Who we get to see finally again this week, briefly. Yes, we do. I think she's in another upcoming drama. I think I saw uh, another credit on her her resume. Upcoming. Need to keep her eyes peeled for that. Absolutely, because we love her work. Teddy's corpse is like toilet paper stuck to the bottom of Stephen's shoe as he desperately tries to dispose of his latest victim. Daisy's mother and stalker choose the same week to show up and she's about equally pleased to see both of them. Fizz and Tyrone assume the personas of a leisure wear entrepreneur and an Irish horse trainer in an attempt to inject some novelty into the boudoir. Chesney uses some of his wedding funds to chase his lifelong ambition of making a tasty burger. Yeah, whatever happened to that? To is, the cheeseburger? Is is that the burger joint that Tommy O invested in? <laughs> the one that was next to the slaughterhouse? Yeah. What's the real reason, Tommy O? Because I ain't buying that burger. No. <laughs> Max discovers the consequences and impact of the propaganda videos he made for Griff. Sally's dress-up box is laundered. Farewell, Scylla. We barely knew thee. Adam's hair. Our moment of the week was Fizz in the Wig role-playing with Tyrone. And our boring moment of the week was Chesney's dream about cheeseburgers. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Apparently it was boring for the scriptwriters as well, because look how far that's dropped. They keep on mentioning it every now and again, and then... And then nothing happens. They go, nah, we can't, we can't possibly do this. No. Every time I hear that last year tonight music, though, I do think of our friend Chris, yes, that one who did an own, his own version of it for our mm-hmm. 100th episode. Yeah. Nearly 200 episodes ago now. What? 
What? And he's... we haven't ce- we didn't celebrate our two hundredth and three hundredth episode, did we? We haven't done the three hundredth yet. We're two ninety. Okay, so nearly, but we didn't celebrate the two hundredth, did we? No, we celebrated the one hundredth by day drinking. Right. As we did the show. Remember, we got drunk slowly as we were doing We, we drank 100. one glass of champagne each. We drank two glasses of mimosas at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. But mimosas are mostly orange juice. Not the way you pour them, mimosas. <laughs> anyway, we did nothing for the 200. And anyway, all this to say that, Chris, yes, that one uh, is in the hospital at the moment. Oh, no. And we wish him. The very best and a speedy recovery. Absolutely. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Oh, sometimes it's good just to take a little break, isn't it? Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is Bully for You. For you. No. This is what happens when I think we both said... Thank God the show seems to have forgotten about that bullying storyline. Yeah, they make it stupider. (laughs) On Monday, in the Rose Gold flat, Liam is talking to Gary before heading off to school. He reckons Gary was right and he's not going to let the bullies get to him secretly. Jake has a word with Liam warning him about facing off with Mason. And once again, Jake is the only person who has his head screwed on correctly in this house, it seems. Correct. At home, Dylan is on his way to school on the phone to Mason. It seems Dylan is the one holding on to Liam's phone because, of course, Mason wouldn't get his hands dirty. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, what a prick. If you weren't already thinking this, you're thinking it now. Right. At school, Mason calls Liam a dead man and Liam stands up to him saying that he'll see him later and he'll be wanting his phone back. Gary goes to the Rovers and talks to Sean and George about the rough time Liam's having at school. Says it's not being helped by Dylan ignoring him. Sean wants to attack, but George calms him down and quietly tells Gary that this is just a phase that boys go through and it will pass. Privately, Dylan tells Liam to bail out of the Mason fight because Mason is intending on killing him. Liam tells Dylan to suck his balls. He's sick of being pushed around. Yeah. Quite right. Yes. So at the science block, Dylan is trying to make excuses now, predicting that Liam won't show up and suggesting that they leave. After all, Liam is too much of a loser. But at this... Liam shows up, and so Mason goads him into belting Dylan for calling him a loser, and then goads Dylan into saying it again to Liam's face. Liam looks like he just wants to pan some cunt's lights in, so obliges as Mason throws his phone at him, and he takes a swing at Dylan. Now, it, he doesn't connect. He doesn't connect, yes. I think we all need to remember this, that he doesn't connect. There is no mark on Dylan whatsoever no let's all remember this when something else happens a little later on he swung and he missed right and then he pushed dylan into a wall Uh uh-huh kind of yeah that's all that happened that's all that happened and then mrs crawshaw appears out of nowhere as far as i can tell one punch was thrown it didn't land but mason tells crawshaw that leon punched dylan because he's a stinking fucking grass of the highest order. Right. And he does this in front of people. And he right. does this in front of his mates. Yeah. yeah. They and all know that he's a fucking grass. Right. Yeah, and yet, and yet, and yet. And Crawshaw thinks this is a very serious situation and takes them both to her office where Liam backs up Mason's story and says, yes, that's exactly what happened. 
why, why Liam is not grassing when he's just been grassed up? I've said this before. Yeah. When somebody grasses on you, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. The, the, the not grassing rule or law or whatever it is, is null and void. Someone's grassed on you, you're well within your rights and probably are expected to mm-hmm. grass them up. Yeah. And this is what's happened. And why Crawshaw's listening to him? And why Crawshaw's having this conversation in the middle of the playground? Right. She should have grabbed Dylan, grabbed Liam, and the two of them should have gone off. Right. Nobody's, Don't listen at, nobody's, to Mason. nobody's speaking to you, Mason. Yeah, nobody's speaking to you, Mason. She knows he's bad news. And she knows Liam isn't. Right. Yeah. None of this makes sense. The number of things that we have to ignore for this to make sense. It's shocking. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Not at all. It's <sighs> ridiculous. It just makes me mad because... It makes me so mad. Because bullying is a, an awful thing. It is. You know, and, and lots of us have experience of it. Yes, I, we have. And I think it, it, it probably deserves a little more credibility than, than what the show's given it. Than this it. bullshit. Mason is a bad guy. We get it. Why is he a bad guy? Nobody knows. Does it matter? Well, the show doesn't seem to think so. No. He's just a bad guy because. But it's... The thing that they do have, right, is the manipulative powers of him and the way that he never gets his hands dirty. That's that's absolutely spot on. Right. But again, the teacher seems to have to be oblivious to this. The teacher seems to have to ignore what a good uh, student Liam has been in the past. And plus, look at him. Yeah. Seriously, look at him. He's like a wee hamster. And I mean that in the the most loveliest of ways. Right. When he had his head bowed down. Right, yeah. Sort of washing his ears. <laughs> you know. And it's just... The, the, the fact that there's like... There, there are never teachers around. There are, there are no adults who work at that school except for Mrs. Crawshaw. One would one is expected to believe and there and the fact that liam went a whole evening at home without his phone and gary and maria didn't notice that it was kind of weird that liam didn't look at his phone once uh, that right. whole evening if one of our kids came home without their phone we'd know almost immediately without them having to tell us because it would be very suspicious mm-hmm. that they're not on their phone. So Sean and Dylan are stomping home when Maria pulls up in a rose gold Fiat 500. She's got a rose gold car. Of course she has. It's Gary that's driving though. Mm-hmm. Sean starts a slanging match between them calling Liam Tyson Fury. Dylan was untouched at any point. Let's There's not a single mark mind. on that child. In the flat, Gary confesses that, oh, he might have suggested that Liam did some talking with his fists and Maria mm-hmm. is furious about this. Gary's still sure that this will help Liam in the long run, though. But Sean just won't shut the fuck up about Liam the bully. George is confused that Liam could be anyone's bully and right. asks why Liam went for Dylan in the first place. Yeah. Sean thinks George is victim-blaming and Dylan leaves the room and George is pretty suspicious by now right he's already had his little chat with liam mm-hmm. yeah yeah he knows he knows something more is up 
At the Rose Gold Flat, Maria is still in the mood when they get a visit from PC Tinker, because obviously the police are involved in this now. Yeah. But Liam needs to go to the police station tomorrow to answer some questions in regards to allegations of an assault. Right. Where's the evidence of this assault, PC Tinker? Is there a mark on Dylan? Has has Dylan been hurt in any way? He has not. He was pushed and that is an assault. He was barely pushed. He was pushed by a boy who reminds you of a hamster. Washing his wheel. <laughs> lovely, lovely. In the, in the nicest way. Yeah. I think we need to emphasize that. In the nicest way. We don't think that Liam like shoves seeds into his cheek pockets. No, and he doesn't he, run on a treadmill no. round and round and round and round no. and round. He's just an adorable wee kid who seems just very shy and very intro introverted and you know and kind and And definitely does not eat his young. No. Or bully them. On Wednesday. I'm glad we cleared that up. Maria gets Liam organised to go at the cop shop. It's ridiculous that the police are involved, but Maria it thinks times have changed. And she refuses Gary's offer to go with or to drive them. She's still in a bit of a mood with them. On the street, Sean and Gary are arguing about Dylan and Liam. Seems Sean's history of being bullied is making him quite hardcore on dealing with bullies. Right. It also makes him blind to the fact that Liam would be incapable of bullying anyone. Right, yes. And he also... He also alludes to the apple not falling far from the tree, forgetting that Gary's not Liam's biological father. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the random tree on the other side of the orchard. <laughs> right. That your mother tree just happens to hook up with when you're 12 years old. Trees. Meanwhile at the station, the cops describe the events to Liam according to Dylan. Dylan has written a Jack Reacher account of events, and when asked, Liam refuses to contradict anything. Maria's furious again, but can say nothing. The cop reckons that they can draw a line under things if Liam apologises to Dylan. So at school the next day, Liam apologises to Dylan and is sincere about it, and the police close the matter. Crosher, though, is a different beast, no. and announces that she's not had any satisfaction and Liam will remain suspended. Sean is cock-a-hoop about this. Guy tries to dismiss it as argy-bargy and soon everyone in the room is arguing which allows Dylan to tell Liam that he's going to get his fucking head kicked in when he gets back from suspension. On Friday, in the Rose Gold flat, Gary is drinking from a Rose Gold mug and offers to take Liam in to work with him today because Maria's keen for him not to just sit about on the PlayStation or whatever. He and Maria are still convinced that Liam is hiding stuff and that he's the one that's been bullied because he's kind of come out and said that. Mm-hmm. So at the furniture thing, which we've not seen in ages, Liam has found a metaphorical string puppet. He wants to fix it up and sell it. And Gary approves. A marionette. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. Not a puppet. Marionette. Gary calls it a puppet, though, and that's why his shop is failing. So anyway, <laughs> what about the string puppet and its metaphor? You mean the marionette? It's it's like do you remember do you remember in sync no strings attached when they made that video where they were all nope attached to strings and no being it, it sounds around. awful <laughs> oddly I wasn't into American boy bands when I was at school when you were in your twenties 
Or, or when I was in my 20s. Right, yes. When you were in my 30s, that's a different matter, but in my 20s, no. <laughs> yeah, because sync and Backstreet Boys, that's when we were in our 20s. It, but, See, this is how little I know of that. New Kids on the Block, that's when we were in a school. You you did like New Kids on the Block, though, didn't you? No. You weren't hanging tough? No, it was awful music. <laughs> yes, but they were it's cute. awful music when Iron Maiden were there. Iron Maiden were right there. But were Iron Maiden cute? N- numbering a beast. Were Iron Maiden cute? It depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> I think Bruce Dickinson would have been a very gentle lover. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, he's he's got no strings to hold him down. He's got that going for him. I Just this story... The fact that the police were called and the police can be bothered with this when (laughs) there are other storylines going on. And why is it always PC Tinker? Well, the police police have a history of getting involved in cases that they have no business getting interested in. Like that time Seb fell off a ladder (laughs) that had the CID on it for months (laughs) going through offices with a fine tooth comb and fingerprints and stuff looking for... (sighs) For Anna's earring or something like that. It's just it's ridiculous. No, they, they should have nothing to do with us. This. this is right. This is a school this matter. Is even beneath Tinker. <laughs> That's the level of this. It's beneath Tinker. It's beneath Tinker. Beneath <sighs> Tinker. And the fact that you know Crawshaw's like, you know, well, I'm glad the police are satisfied, but I'm not satisfied because I'm the only adult here in this school. Right. And the fact that neither Liam nor Dylan are... I, I, I'm, I'm shocked Dylan went to the police at all. I mean, I'm sure it's all Sean. Well, it was forced to, yeah. Yeah. We don't get to see that, but... We, we see enough Sean this week. <laughs> this is true. But it's just so many people know better and are not speaking up. George kind of starts to speak up, but then doesn't. Oh, this, this is a long game. George, I think, will get involved in it later on. But it's, right. enough, when, it's enough now that George, also having been bullied, right. has a completely different perspective on this from Sean. Right. Because it's Sean's being bullied for being gay right. in his youth. That he, this, this is the energy that he's drawn on mm-hmm. now. Let's, George, but, George is coming at it from a different angle right. and is more sympathetic to the actual cause of it. He's choosing to ask some questions about this right. that Sean Doesn't is too, want is to too hear. angry to, to right. ask any questions about. But let's remember, Mason is homophobic and did yeah. make homophobic jokes about Dylan and Liam. So... The main change here has been that Dylan previously and this week Thinks he's doing a solid for Liam by right. giving him a warning mm-hmm. not to go to this meeting. And then Liam knows not to go to this meeting, but mm-hmm. is going to because he's sick of being pushed around. So right. it's, it's 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 worthless information that he gets from you. And then of course Liam shows up at the absolute wrong time when you know when the last thing he hears Dylan say is that he's a loser, and he didn't hear the other parts where he might be able to think, oh, he's trying to get me out of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Liam cares anymore about no. that. 
And nor, and nor should he. No. But the the difference is now that Dylan at the end of that is very much when he says we're going to deal with you, he's uh-huh. he's part of the we now. Right. Yeah. He's the bully. He's he's officially now. He's been yeah. doing it for a while, but I think officially now he's mm-hmm. the bully. Yeah. And he's and he's cowardly. Right. Yeah, and he's been cowardly for a while. And the fact that he doesn't say Look, I had his phone. You know who has his phone right now? It's Maria. Maria has Liam's phone. Yeah. I bet she's going to find something on it. I'm just worried that this is not quite reached its its lowest ebb yet. Yeah. Because I can see, I don't think they would go as far as this. But it does make you kind of worried that Liam might consider, let's say, doing something rash. To himself. Mm. Yeah. Don't think I haven't thought about that. Especially when he's in his room by himself, reading those messages and crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think we've had enough of that, Coronation Street. Yeah. No more. No real appetite for that. No, none. A, a big old appetite for Maria finding messages on the phone right. and for George getting involved a bit mm-hmm. more. Very much in favour of and, that. And for more evidence to pop up, you know. Because there is other evidence. I'm sure There's that knife. Have, Where's that knife? That horrible knife that just that nearly done me for this whole thing. I know. Was just seeing that bloody thing. But I don't know, maybe we get to um we get to a resolution with this sooner rather than later but I, I fear that we're kind of far away from it because I do think we need to find or we need to be introduced to Mason's parents at some point or whoever's hanging around right because I think that's Gary's next step right and so that therefore that's that's the situation escalated again and right and and stretched out and I really don't, I don't yeah, fancy that. I have no appetite for the story whatsoever. I no. just want it to be over. Okay, well, let's move on then to our next storyline, which rhymes and is Gemma's Dilemma. Woo-hoo! On Monday at the Quad House, there are quads. Four of them. Gemma explains to them that Daddy is sleeping on the couch because of his snoring or something. And he's, he is cold. He's about to head to the hospital, but he wants to chat first. Gemma isn't in the mood and is less in the mood when Granny Linda shows up. She offers to watch the quad so Gemma and Chez can visit Joseph together, but Gemma still sends him on his own, saying that she can use the time to get the rest of her stuff from Paul's. So at the hospital, Joseph is still in a bad mood with Chesney. <laughs> so he's, funny. He's, he's been angry overnight about this. This is great. And isn't shy in telling him so. He explains how much Chesney let him down, how he said millions of times that he was sick and Chesney didn't listen. Chesney apologises again for letting him down, promises to believe him in future, and the two of them make up and hug. Gemma goes to pack up the last of her stuff and explains her hatred of Chesney to Paul and Bernie, and it seems that they can't afford to split up, which is always the best reason not to. Right. Chesney gets back from hospital and tells Gemma that he and Joseph made up. He hopes they can do the same, but before Gemma can answer, Granny Linda comes in with the quads. Privately, Granny Linda apologises to Chesney for her part in the horrible Gemma situation. Chesney pretends to accept it, but then agrees that Linda has made it worse, and now Gemma hates him. 
Gemma hated him before that, let's not forget. Linda seems to suggest that he can bail with her to Portugal if needs be, but reckons that things will sort themselves out. At dinner time, Linda nips off to the hospital, so Chesney immediately jumps back on the apology bandwagon. Gemma calls him a good dad. A good dad who's sleeping on the sofa tonight. Right. And that's as far as we get with that part of the storyline. We'll come back to Gemma in a little bit. With another dilemma. Mm. So, did you pick up on that? Did you think that's what Granny Linda was suggesting? Because she was going on about sardines and stuff. And it was the sardines that made me think of Portugal. They love their sardines in Portugal. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of tune out Granny Linda at this at the moment. It's a very strange thing if that is what she was suggesting. Your wife isn't speaking to you, so here's my idea: grab the kids and let's go to Portugal. That'll fix things. So you're you're off Granny Linda just now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if she's coming back for me <laughs> after last week. You know, it upsets me that they have done this to her character. But they have done this to her character. And for me, I don't think there's there's any coming back. I'm just so sad. I was curious to see where the fridge was this weekend. We don't get to see it. No. No, because it's in the corner that we never get to see. Uh-huh. Uh, off, the, off the living room. It's in the fourth wall. <sighs> I have it in my head that when they revealed the big ass fridge that the camera was above the fridge looking down on Chesney, but that isn't what happened. No. But that is what, that's what should, should have happened. That is what should have happened. Anyway, nothing much more to say there, though, except that Joseph, a little too eager to apologise to, to Chesney, I think. A little. A little. But, you know... Or to accept... It. Is that what I said? To accept the apology? Yeah. Yeah. Gemma gave him a talking to and said your dad's really trying to... You know, I think and this makes her a good person because regardless of how she's feeling to Chesney, she right. recognizes that Joseph needs to forgive needs him. to have a relationship right. with, with with his dad, his dad or Chesney, whichever, right. and uh, and facilitates that. Right, and good for her. That's good. Absolutely, yes. All right, let's move on to the Simon doesn't fall far from the Peter. <laughs> on Monday, Bobby is late getting to work, and Bobby! Simon. Bobby! Bobby! Phone! And Simon is already that sick. That boy ain't right. Simon's already sick of the sight of him and has a bad back because he's sleeping on the couch. The The occupancy of uh, residencies in Coronation Street now has reached its maximum and people are now having to sleep on the couch because Simon's not the only person that's sleeping on the couch no. on the street this week. No. What they should do is get bunk beds for Sam's room. And Sam and Simon can sleep in bunk beds together. How cute would that be? Who's got the top bunk? Uh, Sam, obviously. Because he's lighter. Right. And has less wind problems. <laughs> after a night on the bevy. Yeah. Later, Simon's chatting to Carla, uh, apologising for being a grump around Bobby earlier. He offers to take her to the pub for a drink. Carla has a better idea, calls Bobby in and tells the two of them to do some team bonding together. Simon is pissed, but has to agree. At the bistro, Bobby wants to talk about Simon's sales pitch and how he gets on with the ladies. In comes racist Kelly and Sabrina, so Simon shouts his drunken partner at them and they agree to join him so long as Simon's paying. And they're all kind of getting on quite well. 
except Simon who still hates Bobby and Sabrina who doesn't get his jokes and racist Kelly who isn't interested. Simon quizzes Sabrina about Max's racist tendencies but is quickly shut down by racist Kelly and the two ladies leave the losers on their lonesomes to wonder what went wrong. Aww. On Wednesday at the factory, Max has been hired to revamp the factory website www.factory.com which gives him an excuse to chat with Bobby and Simon. Bobby wants racist Kelly's number, but Max is more interested in having to go at Simon for bad-mouthing him. Max and Simon are oddly aggressive to each other and the two of them are kind of butting their chests, uh, threatening to have a square go until Carla throws some water on them, intervenes and sends them in their separate directions. Yes. Who's going to win that fight? Well, Max, obviously. Max is going to beat up Simon, you think? Well, yeah. He's he's got he's had that he's had that outside training from the racists, remember? Hand to hand combat. And killing the rabbit. Right. That you couldn't watch. Right. Or was that spider? No, it was it was it was it was Max. Spider know, could kill a rabbit, he just couldn't eat it. It seems for probably the first time that Max and Simon have been in a, been a, in a scene, scene together. together. Max is very quick when to, they're relatively the same age to threaten Simon and and budge up against him for right. trying to steal his bird. Right, that's that's what we've got. Max is yeah. now the trying to steal his bird sort of thing. So in the pub, Sally and Carla are team Max and reckon that Simon was out of order. He's halfway to pitched when Bobby arrives with racist Kelly. She says she just wants to be mates with Bobby, and he reckons that he can wear her down. <laughs> Simon goes to the bar and complains to Glenda. He fucking hates Bobby. Glenda is sympathetic and gets him a drink in the house. And then we do something weird on... This isn't Wednesdays, by the way. It's Tuesdays Uh because it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Right, yes. On Tuesday's episode, it goes into Wednesday morning. It's not done that for the longest time. Uh At the end of an episode, it's night time. That's how the episodes end, but this went into the next day. So Simon is having the morning after the night before and is woken by Carla wondering where he is. He takes a sickie and then gets right on the phone to his mates to organise some day drinking. Right, yes. Mates we never see. No. And whose name is like Miles or something? (laughs) Miles. And then I'm going to say Daphne. I don't know why. Oh, no, I do know why. You do know why. Yeah. Yeah, and Scooby-Doo. And it's not Miles. It's Niles. Oh, oh, okay. You're thinking Fraser, and I'm thinking Scooby Doo. So, where does Miles come from in Scooby Doo? I don't know, but you said Daphne. I did say. Daphne. And when you say Daphne, I think Scooby Doo before I think Fraser. Sure. It's just the way I am. On Friday, and, the and it was Matthew Lillard's birthday yesterday. So, and this isn't Friday. This is Wednesday. I've got my days all mixed up. So on Wednesday in the factory, Sally is making a case for Gandhi being Jack the Ripper because she's suddenly racist. Simon's <laughs> and, a- and she thinks that they were in London at the same time. I don't think so. Wasn't Jack the Ripper like well before Gandhi? Because Gandhi's 20th century. Yeah, so was Jack the Ripper. No, Jack the Ripper's like... No, it was 1900s. No, 1800s. No. Jack the Ripper wore a top hat. That doesn't prove anything. That could be Slash. <laughs> Slash would never. Killed Gandhi? Kill kill prostitutes. 
Oh, it was the 1800s. Yeah, he was yeah, up, fuck but, you. But they were at the same time, so fuck you. Wait, no. Gandhi was studying law in that London at the same time Jack the Ripper was on his killing spree. That doesn't make any sense, because when I think of Gandhi, I think of the 20th century. Isn't that weird? Because it's like, yeah, Gandhi and the Ripper, it's on Reddit. So it must be true. It must be true if it's on Reddit. Hypothetically, he could have been the Ripper. He's he's not, obviously. Oh, look, it's on YouTube as well. That's crazy. I guess I forget that Gandhi had to have been young once. So Simon's <laughs> at work hungover and can't say he's hungover because he said that he was... Uh, feeling poorly like that he had the flu so he blames food poisoning Carla doesn't believe him and accuses him of pulling the sick ape he denies it later Bobby joins Simon in the pub Bobby approaches Simon about hating him and even though Simon does he says that he doesn't Simon admits to being hungover from an all day sesh Bobby thinks the best thing is to get right back on it and so he goes and gets a beer in except he doesn't and I was going to skip over this but he, he does the old blame his walking frame thing right which, yeah, and which I don't Daisy. think we like. No, I can kind of understand it here, though. When Daisy's like, well, we don't do table service. And he's like, oh, should I just get my walker out then and, and drag it across the floor to the bar and then drag it back? And how am I going to hold beers and also drag my walker across the way? Yeah, I guess that is holding beer makes it more difficult. Right, yeah. He's polite about it. He is. He is very polite. It doesn't seem like a joke at at, at this point. That's true. He's making a point about the fact that he's disabled. Simon and Bobby get back to work late after lunch. Best buds now. Beth is quick to point out their tardiness to Carla, and Sally doesn't approve of the nepotism, so Carla goes to handle it. Later, Kirk has gone over on his ankle and can't drive the work van, so Carla asks Simon to drive, as he's the other one that's on the insurance. Simon can't because he's still pushed, but he can't say that. Nope. So his refusal, though, winds up Beth and Sally even more. He says it's not his job and she can't push him around, so Carla just fires him on the spot. Yep. Saving face, though. I mean, right. he's saying this in front of all the knicker people. Right, yeah, which is dumb. So Simon goes to Leanne's where he seems to be living and tells a version of a story that keeps him in a good light mm -hmm. and makes Carla seem like a cow. Leanne is furious, so goes off to have words. So Leanne, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory and shouts at Carla. Carla gives her version of events that Simon was drunk at work and gave her lip in front of the other knicker people. She's done nothing but give Simon a break, and all he's done is throw it back in her face. So Leanne goes back to see Simon in less of an understanding mood. He denies being drunk and says that he only had a pint, but Leanne knows that he had more than that because he was seen. And he's worried that his drinking is getting in his way, and she's worried that his drinking is getting in the way of work. Maybe he should lay off it for a day or two and patch things up with Carla. Later, Bobby comes over to see him and promises to have a word with Carla on his behalf. Bobby wants to go back out in the town, but Simon knocks back the offer, saying that he'll have a quiet one at home instead. But Simon, he's headed out for some cans, and he comes home to an empty house at Leanne's. Where's Sam about? Seriously, where is Sam? <clears throat> he tries to call Peter, but gets his voicemail. He leaves a message again. He just wanted a chat. Wanted to know that his dad was okay. And he hangs up, sullen and depressed, and decides to get wrecked tonight again. After all, and that's as far as we get with that this week. So sad. 
So I called this way back. Yes, you did. Every time we were seeing Simon, he was heading off to the pub, or he was talking about going to the pub, or he was in the pub. Predictable. Maybe too predictable. Well, it's predictable because I predicted it. Right. And also, you know, son of an alcoholic. Alcoholic. It was bound to happen. We needed another alcoholic on the street. We don't have one anymore. I wonder why nobody offered Simon to go with Peter. He wanted to go with him. He told him he wanted to go with him. And he's like, no, no, your life is here. It's it was bullshit, too, because, uh, you know, when when Peter left, it was so abrupt and people only kind of half tried to try to find Simon to say goodbye. Where's Simon? He's not here. Where is he? Well, I don't know. He's not here. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah, I, can't get a, I can't get a hold of him on my on my phone. Well, where has he been staying? Who are his friends? Can we call one of his friends? Nobody knows who his friends are. Miles. It is really, it is really sad because we did have like that one episode where Peter actually, by choice, hangs out with his son all day and they play video games and they go do stuff and and he seems like a real dad for once and then it just all goes away mm. and he takes off without saying goodbye to his son. It's a sad uh, kind of frame that Simon's cutting here as a a 19 year old drunk or an 18 or 19 year old drunk kind of young to be having these sort of problems I guess I guess it happens yeah look at Drew but, Barrymore but a little a little on the depressing side yeah and maybe this is just the show's final hurrah for Simon before he goes off to pastures new I get nervous when they mention things like He's the only other one on the factory insurance for driving the van. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they said that on Wednesday, so so he has to refuse because right. he's, he's drunk. But yeah, does that mean he's less likely to refuse in the future if this is if this comes up again? You know, they're all just kind of... As long as he doesn't run it into, like, a school bus full of disabled children. Or Paul on a motorbike. Because that's (laughs) Carla's job. Carla gave him MND. Mm -hmm. From the bumper of the Underworld van. We all saw it. We all saw it. We all saw it happen. That's how it happens. That's not how it happens. I do, and I know this is going to annoy people. I think Bobby's starting to fit in. Yeah, I think he is too, and and I'm okay with it because he is he has tampered it down significantly from the first week. He is not. It's not joke a second and jokes related to his disability over and over and over again. No, it doesn't sound like he's doing about a stand up. No, that first that first episode he was doing stand up. He's not doing that anymore. That wasn't good stand up, right? And I liked I liked that that scene in the Rovers where he's sitting with racist Kelly and Sally and Beth in a booth, you know. And it's just one of those one of those scenes we don't get very often anymore, where there's just random people 
together in a booth and then other random people together in another booth and people are just hanging out and having fun. And hasn't that been just the message of the uh, renovated, although not really renovated, rovers? Mm -hmm. Now that the rovers has opened up again, it seems to be mobbed. Right. And there, there were some instances last week where one story in the rovers just bled into another story right, in yeah. the rovers. And it's almost like they want us to forget that it was the last bought three with years. stolen money. <laughs> You're not going to forget that. I I'm, have forgotten that. I'm never going to forget that. Those knicker people are sitting there all happy as happy as a lark, not knowing that their, their blood, sweat, and tears, their little fingers working to the bone, sewing knickers. Washing their ears. <laughs> Beth is not a hamster. Their money would be going to the rovers anyway. Eventually. But th that doesn't make it okay for Jenny to steal the knicker people's money to buy the pub. That's not okay. I think the knicker people would want it this way. No. <laughs> they would have wanted a merrier Christmas. No, but it's nice to see the rovers busy and and being that kind of corner of the community that had been for so long that, that COVID kind of killed. That it's kind of gone back to, not quite fully, but more looking like pre-COVID days where yeah. we do have those busy scenes. I do like those busy scenes. Yeah, just in time where for people us. people are infecting each other left, right and centre. Right. And I think with the Bobby thing, I think this is kind of what Cheeky was saying uh, two or three weeks ago about how... They are. They work hard so that the disability isn't the first thing that people see or the right. first thing that people think. And, and I don't think anybody has really spoken to Bobby at all about his his walking frame right. or, or his disability. Right. And I kind of like that. Yeah. I like how he is just sitting. Right. Sitting around the table with racist Kelly. Right. And just hanging out. And Max and yeah, not Max. Uh, Beth. No, Simon and Sabrina. Sabrina. Just four young people sitting in a pub. Right. Or sitting in a bistro. A, a, a very important point. Thank goodness. Yes. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a nice, just yeah, a, just a nice um, attitude. I think. Right. More now than than before, maybe. Right. Yeah. I hope so because. I think the show loves them. Right. So. And, you know, and when when Beth and Sally are giving him and Simon a hard time about nepotism, you know, they're not being gentle with Bobby just because he's right. disabled. Right. And you'd think that at least Sally might be, but she's not. Yeah, Sally would be, you'd think. You would think. But she's that angry, so it doesn't, right. this doesn't count. Yeah. And it's just it's just like with Izzy, they don't really you know, they they talked about it as it related to COVID and mm -hmm. her working from home for a while. But that was kind of a necessity. But typically, like on a daily basis, nobody talk nobody talks about her her being in a wheelchair. Nobody No. You know, I, I Paul did, but that's because he was in a situation where he was going to be in one himself. Right. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just, 
it's just another person, another day. Yeah. Still sad times for Simon. And yes. one wonders if Peter did see that Simon was calling and just chose not to answer it. Our next storyline tonight is on the road again. On Monday, back at the Godflat, Bernie is wheeling and dealing about something when she arrives to make Paul's lunch. Mosey shows up, but it's surplus to requirements, so Bernie chases him. She doesn't seem to realise that if he doesn't have anything to do, the social will remove Paul from his rota. Meanwhile, Dev is having a funny turn in the rovers when everyone keeps asking how Bernie is getting on now that she's out of prison and he cries in his beer with Ed. He really seemed to have a problem with that that went nowhere. Right, yeah. He, he's like, can we, can we just... Can we just not, not, not talk about the fact that she was in in prison? You know, do we all have to say the word prison over and over again? And then when he sits with Dev, that's when like he actually wants to talk, and the flood work the flood works open, and he's just bawling in that booth and being the very best Dev he could be. <laughs> Todd bumps into Moses coming out and in the rolls. Moses is at a loose end thanks to Bernie, so the two of them dance around arranging a date. Moses always fancied trying speed dial, so they arranged to go for dinner there later. Bernie is in cleaning mode at the flat and is putting things away in cupboards. Paul becomes concerned that she'll stumble upon the benzos. Right, so which tells, are hidden in a cereal box. So tells her to fucking sit down or clean the bedroom. Ugh. <laughs> Unbelievably, she chooses the bedroom, which allows <laughs> Paul to text Todd for help. So it's been done later, Moses is impressed by Todd's gift to the gab and things are going well until Todd gets Paul's panic texts and has to run, blaming a work emergency. Moses is worried that he's bored Todd. Todd insists that he's well into this and is sorry and there'll be another time. It doesn't look like Moses has taken this very well. No. And no, should he? No, no. Todd could have said, excuse me, I'll be back in a second. Because it doesn't take too long to take drugs from one place and hide them in a new place. I don't think just, he knows what's been asked of him yet, but just just so another story li- just so something else can happen later on. Oh yeah. Todd rushes to the god flat, throws Bernie to the floor, and retrieves the stashed benzos and restashes them in Paul's bedside drawer. Billy comes back from wherever it was Billy was. He's a bit sore as he moves after his busy day doing whatever it was he was doing. Right, because he wasn't working. <laughs> He went to get a cushion or something for for Paul. Right. A special cushion. A special cushion. Maybe a farting cushion. Wink. (laughs) Oh. What? A sex cushion? A sex pillow. Like the one we have upstairs. That old woman's sex pillow. (laughs) It's seen some horrors, I'll tell you. Later, Bernie turns up in the street in a clapped-out RV. Dev wants to christen it. Aye. But Bernie's plan is to take Paul and Gemma away for the night tomorrow. Dave isn't sure Paul is well enough, but Bernie won't hear a word of it. This is making memories. So on Tuesday, in the morning, Bernie shows off the RV to Paul and Gemma, who are uniformly unimpressed. She only has it for a couple of days, so after a fashion, she manages to convince the two of them to go. Wagons roll! So off they go at the country. Gemma's foundation today is more orange than Orangina. Bernie is obviously lost using an ancient map and to make matters worse, there's no phone signal where they are. She asks for some faith to get them to the campsite, which she says is luxury. Back in the street, Billy has no idea where Paul or Gemma have gone and is already frantic with worry. This this was almost the point where Stelly said, I hate that guy. (laughs) 
So it's dark by the time Bernie gets to the campsite, there's no lights, and by the time they realise that they're in the wrong place, the RV has sunk into the grass and they're stuck. With no phone signal, Gemma and Paul are worried about what Chesney and the Quads and Billy are going to be thinking. Bernie thinks that they've spent the night in worse places. Just ever optimistic. Yeah, she's probably right. Meanwhile, Billy is now having kittens that have been unable to contact Paul, and he further shits himself when he checks the cupboard and sees that the benzos are gone. Right. So he bursts into the rovers, desperate to find what he thinks is going to be a suicidal Paul. David suggests calling him again, and if that doesn't work, they'll rustle together a good old-fashioned search party. Yes. So, in the RV, one of their phone rings. It's Paul's, but Gemma answers it. It's Billy. He can't hear Gemma, but she can hear him, just about, talking about missing drugs and it not being the right time. Paul snatches the phone away and tells Billy to speak to Dev. Hello, says Billy, which was hilarious. <laughs> just so funny. Dev? What? <laughs> which, you know, it's so stupid because he tries to call Chesney and he can't get a hold of Chesney. And why on earth wouldn't Chesney answer his phone? Mm-hmm. And he tries to get a hold of Todd. And he can't get a hold of Todd, but Todd would be the best person to get a hold of because Todd would be able to tell him that he had to move the drugs. Which you'd think, you'd think Paul would have told him already before they left. And then he doesn't think, he can't get a hold of Bernie, but he doesn't think, well, Bernie's probably with Dev, maybe I should call Dev. Because you have it everyone's takes, number. It takes Paul saying, call Dev, he'll explain it all to you. For him to finally call Dev and have it all explained to him. It's like a Brian Ricks farce. Yes. No benzos, please. We're British. (laughs) Paul hangs up. Billy and Gemma are fucking made of questions at this. Bernie. Paul calls it options, but Bernie and Gemma don't think that offing himself is an option. Bernie in particular takes this hard and refuses to listen to Paul's reasons. Paul thinks that Bernie is jealous that he never asked her to be the one who helps him take his life. He points out that if it wasn't for Billy, he'd probably have already done it when Bernie was inside. Gemma wants him to promise not to do it. Paul tells her to suck his balls. It's his life. Billy speaks to Dev and learns of the RV plan. David thinks this is great news because it gives Billy a night off, so he suggests that they get fucked on booze. Well, maybe just one, says Billy, who's the best archdeacon Weatherfield has ever known. And David says, some of the best nights of my life have started with that sentence. Yes. And some of his worst. Yes. David has just been really kind of on point in lots of other storylines that don't really involve him. That's right. And and yet he becomes involved and is the voice of reason? Well. How does this happen? He's the voice of reason so long as the story doesn't affect him. Right. And he's the voice of reason as long as it involves booze. In the pub, Billy is so religious that he's forgotten how to count and there's now five beers in and three sheets to the wind so that when he dances to the bump later, he puts his back out. He's doing the bump with Carla and David. And it's like, how many times have you ever seen the three of them in a scene together? Well, It's delightful. So they must be bumping, I guess. They are bumping. Later, at the field, outside, Bernie and Gemma are sitting looking at the stars, talking about what to do. Gemma worries that doing nothing makes it look like they approve. Bernie doesn't think any of this matters to Paul. They agree not to fall out over this. They have to trust Paul right to the end. Mm -hmm. 
In the morning, they wake up and Gemma goes outside for a shite. She really does. Yeah. And is interrupted by a whole rugby team. <laughs> yes, she is. They haven't parked in a field. They've parked in the middle of a fucking rugby pitch. Right. So Gemma, thankfully, postpones her shite. Right. And it's funny because she's like, I'm going to go off to the bushes. But what happens? She starts to disrobe right there. She's got to poop right on the wheel of that RV. Pretty much. Like a dog. Yikes. And leave toilet paper there. <laughs> Green toilet paper. It's probably better for the environment. Green toilet paper? Yeah. Oh. It's more natural. Andrex used to come in pink and light blue. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, Quilted Northern used to come in those colors as well. And now... Those sell for a lot of money on eBay if you come across them because they're they're vintage and people want them for their bathrooms, not to use, but just to like put on the back of their toilet as decor. Mm-hmm. They're very collectible. Because their shite looked much better on pink toilet paper. That's right. So Bernie, good thinking here, gets the rugby players to push the RV free and comically they all fall in the mud, but the RV is free. Gemma never gets her shite. When they get into mobile range, Paul learns that Billy is an weather general. So when they get back to the street, Paul goes to see Billy, whose only relief comes from the fact that he wasn't dancing to Gangnam style when he put his back out. He's ruptured some discs. Can you imagine Billy doing the Gangnam style dance? No. Paul explains that thanks to Billy's fucking big mouth, now Bernie and Gemma know about the Benzo plan. Billy is apologetic, but Paul is happy that it's all out. In fact, he's far more positive and reckons life is too much fun at the moment to check out early. So that's good. Yes. So Wednesday, Billy's home and on the couch. He's twanged his back getting Paul out of the bath. Bernie comes in and is furious that Moses isn't there again and is running late again. Both Paul and Billy excuse Moses, who they say is run ragged. On the street... Todd sees Moses running towards Paul's, all hit up because he's so late, his last client collapsed and he called an ambulance but had to leave before the ambulance arrived because he was already late getting to Paul's. <sighs> I'm not sure he should have done that. No. Todd gives him a hug and a quick squeeze on the buns and this is seen by Bernie who was out gathering nettles from the ginnel. That's what she was doing. Right, yes, because she's going to make a nettle tea to make Billy feel better. At Paul's, Moses is taking care of things when he gets a call from his boss who has received a complaint. Apparently, Moses has been accepting bun squeezes while on duty, so he's been suspended. Dum, dum, dum. Who on earth could have called? Billy and Paul look at each other. Moses is about to leave as Bernie comes in. She gives Moses some lip about being late again and Paul quickly susses it was his mum what grasped Moses up. So they explain why Moses was late and why he's been late before and they berate her for not speaking to them or Moses about her concerns. Seems Bernie has been doing her best to keep Paul in a good mood so he won't kill himself today and she promises to ring Moses' bosses. But the call can't Moses help. Moses' bosses. <coughs> Moses Moses' is his bosses. God, are you there? It's Bernie? <laughs> So Bernie's call can't help because other people have complained about how slow Moses is. Paul hates how unfair this is, which puts Bernie on high alert as she leaves because she has to keep Paul in a good mood. And that's as far as we get with that this week. 
you always know that you're in for something when an RV appears on the street. Yes. Especially one in that condition. Some rugby players may be involved, but the RV is obviously going to break down at some point. Yes. Because I guess that's what RVs do. It's hilarious. And it doesn't really break down. It just gets stuck in the mud. Yeah. And yet the engine doesn't turn over. It was turning over and then she, she thought they had a flat tire. Right. Because it cause, didn't cause seem like it was actually starting. Works. Yeah, well, apparently her friend <laughs> said that one of the tires was getting low and that her her boyfriend Skippy or something sure. had patched it so that it would be okay for the weekend. I'm sure his name was Skippy. It is now. <laughs> She's dating peanut butter. Or, or the that, bush kangaroo. Or or that guy that guy from um family not family matters. No. Family ties. Was it wasn't wasn't Alex P. Keaton's best friend named Skippy or was that Skipper? Helen, I haven't had a clue what you've been talking about for the last five minutes. What? You never watched Family Ties with Michael J. Fox? No, I did not. What's wrong with I you? I was listening to Iron Maiden. How many times do I have to tell you? You weren't listening to Iron Maiden when you were like four years old. Cut it out. No, I was probably the Sex Pistols at that point. <laughs> I remember going to their gig in 1978. <laughs> at five years old, I was in a Shawadi Wadi and Abba? Yes. Well, at least you're still into ABBA. Yeah. They produce some shite, but the good stuff's very good. Yes. No, I, I, I enjoyed this uh, quite a bit. The fact that poor Gemma was going out for a shite, was actually going out for a shite. Was, I'm going to really enjoy saying that Gemma nips off for a shite. And right. she actually does do it. And I really did enjoy saying that. Right. So, so that's good. Yeah. <sighs> You know, you take your wins where you can get them, You right? do. You you absolutely do. And the green toilet paper matched her, her pink onesie. <laughs> I thought it kind of clashed, to be honest. No, but... pink and green go well together. Look at that mascara that's got a green and with a pink lid. I wonder where Billy's bad back's going to, going to take us. Right, because if Moses is suspended... And they probably can't get anybody else out. And Billy can't help. What's going to happen? It's going to be Bernie. And then Bernie's going to have to help Paul die. As bad as this is going to be, I uh, really don't want Bernie involved in it. I did. I did feel for her when, you know, he's like, well, I just I wanted to save you the pain. And she's like, you don't think I would want to hold your hand as you go, you know, and everything. There was just this article today, I think it was in the Boston Globe, about a woman from Connecticut who who wanted to die with dignity and it's illegal in Connecticut. So she had to drive up to Vermont and, and do it in Vermont, you know, when it would have been so much nicer to do it at home. Right. You know, and they do have a point with that, you know, and Vermont is very lovely. I'm sure it's it's a lovely home and it's not your own bed and it's not surrounded by people you love. Right. 
Apparently, yeah. yeah. Apparently, she did have like one last party with all of her friends, and then oh, I just can't. I just can't even contemplate that. And then, like you know, she did have all of her family around her, and and they wrote goodbye letters for her to all of her friends, and and went to the post office to drop them off after after she was gone. And oh, it was such a sad story. This is what we've got to look forward to here. Yeah. It's a good thing we're all going to die by nuclear war before that happens. <laughs> and unfortunately, the reference that that refers back to was probably cut out. <laughs> probably. But, you know, it works on its own. Nuclear war always works on its own. There was only one bit. The one line that I really hated was when Gemma said, promise me you won't do it. Right. Yeah. It was just, it was ignoring everything that had been it's, said. Right. It's ignoring everything that Paul has said. He, he's not going to promise that to you, Gemma. No. He's not going to... Have you not been listening? To any of that. To anything he's said. He's like, I might not do it, but it's good that I have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, good that and, I have some control over this. And he admitted that. It's like, when push comes to shove, maybe he'll bottle out of it. Mm-hmm. But It's good to have it there. But it's there. Right. It's good to have it and not use it, then need it and not have it. Right. Exactly. I guess. It's like mittens. Yes. Very and an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yes. What I think they are doing here that's that's good and worthy, not saying that the Paul's M&D isn't, but highlighting the strain that social services are under for home help and, yeah. and home visits and stuff like that is, I mean, what was that, nine years ago? Mm-hmm for uh, the help that my mum was getting somebody just came in quickly dusted I don't even think they pushed a hoover around every day that they were there made a cup of tea made sure she was okay and then left right they were in and out in 15 minutes right and they couldn't hang about because they had the next place to go to right and their day was filled right and so this absolutely rings true that that Moses is if he's late then he's going to be late for the rest of the day and and it just compounds as it goes on. And right. Imagine how much worse it must be nine years on from that mm-hmm. when there are so many more people God, who you'd hope are it'd be in need. Right. So but, many more people are in need and there's fewer people to do it. Right. And this is what... This Thanks, is, Brexit. Uh, right, and this is really highlighting that very well. And I hope they stick with us because yeah. this is something that I think, you know, the likes of Bernie don't understand right and it's hard to understand when you're so close to it right that yeah you think that any feeling is kind of personal and stuff when it's absolutely not but my heart goes out to to these people and mm-hmm. the work that they do and how thankless it is and how necessary it is yeah but it really is he's just got too much to do and mm-hmm. not enough time to do it and we kind of got a little glimpse of the mental uh, load that that is for him right when he fails at something that he obviously loves to do to help people right yeah more of this please he didn't get in for he didn't get into this work for the money right shining a light on this is great and i'm glad it that is. they're doing it and i hope that it has purpose and it, it keeps going in that direction yes up in ultimate storyline tonight is tommy omfg <laughs> On Tuesday... I see what you did there. Uh-huh. 
Tracy and Steve are arguing again over Tracy's birthday present. He got her something to help the pain in her neck, which allows Tracy to a make an obvious pillow. joke. She also got a bean her bonnet about a stain on the bedroom ceiling. Well done, Steve. She wants to <laughs> decorate the whole house for her birthday, but Ken won't hear of it. So yeah, she, Ken reminds her it's his house. So she wants to decorate the bedroom at least and says that she'll send Steve some sample colours. At the florist, Tracy complains to Mary about Steve and her reluctance to do some decorating. Mary thinks if that's the case, maybe she'd be better doing it herself or getting a professional in. Back home, Steve can't fit in his overalls anymore and is using an excuse of softening the brushes and rollers before he can start. He says to her that they're just at the foothills of this job, so don't start thinking that this is going to get done quickly. Such bullshit. Next day, Steve still hasn't started the decorating and reckons that he might get going in a couple of days or so. Fuck this, says Tracy, and she resolves to get a decorator. But then Steve gets a text from Emma. She's going to be in Paris next week. So Steve decides to fuck the decorating and go see his daughter in the City of Light. Tracy is fucking furious about this. What he should be doing is like, hey, instead of decorating, let's go to Paris together. 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 You know, the most romantic city in the world, or so I've heard, I've never been. Just... Just let's let's just go for your birthday and we'll have lots of the sex and eat lots of the croissants and drink okay coffee and eat glorious food and go to museums and take pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower and just be loathsome tourists and see Emma, who's finally back on the side of the world for mm-hmm. a brief period of time. Right. Yeah. It seems that there was a another option here that yeah, neither of them that, that took because what was it Christmas or was it just before Christmas when Steve announced that he and Tracy are having problems? Right. So now everything has to be a problem between them. Right. Like, this all feels still like it's been manufactured, manufactured out of nothing. Yeah. Right. Right. They were fine. They were fine. They were he fine said six months ago. They were fine. He said they're problems, and then the very next week they're wearing matching onesies. <laughs> Let's not forget that. On Wednesday, the decorator arrives, and it's only fucking Tommy fucking O. Tracy is sure she recognises him, and he says there's a photo of, of him in the house. That was hilarious. Because Steve has a 2018 sticker album, and he's in it. He announces himself as Weather County's second top scorer, painting and decorating now thanks to a bad business decision. He wants 800 quid for the job, insisting that he's the best, and there's a bit of a frisson between them until Steve comes in and comes in his pants. And comes in his pants a lot. Right. He's got the biggest O face I've ever seen. (laughs) Yes. So later, Steve is reading his 2018 sticker album. He's changed his mind about going to France. Tracy tells him that she'll be fucked if she's going to let him delay Tommy O and insist that he goes to France. After all, the sooner the better. Steve goes to the pub with Tim, Kev and Kirk to brag about Tommy O painting his house. Everyone is super excited, but Steve is pissed that he'll be visiting his daughter, who he hasn't seen in more than a year instead. who's typically living in Australia. Tim is worried because they were responsible for breaking Tommy's leg in a kickabout and ending his career. Steve needs an angle to become friends with this ex-footballing hero. Kirk hasn't spoken for a while, so he blurts out that Tommy is getting divorced from Mrs Tommy O. And he knows this from his contacts at the club. Kev thought that he was going out with a real housewife of Cheshire. Abby watches it. But apparently they split up too. So Steve and Tim think he'll be looking for a shoulder to cry on. 
yeah, he looked like he needed a shoulder to cry. Right, on. yeah, yeah. And that's as far as we get with that. This yeah, week. guess guess what, guys? He's not looking for a dude shoulder to cry on. No, he's looking for a Tracy to bone. Is is the Real Housewives of Cheshire an actual thing? I think so. <laughs> that's very interesting. I didn't realize that there were Real Housewives in other countries. That's where all the footballers' wives live. Yeah, wasn't there... Leafy, Leafy Cheshire. <laughs> Leafy Cheshire. Wasn't there like a... Sh- there was a show at one point called Footballers Wise, wasn't there? Yes, it was. Ben Price was that. Yeah. Yeah. He was very he horny was in it. Conrad something. His name was Conrad. Right. Don't, don't we get to see his ass in that show at one point? Didn't watch it. Iron Maiden. <laughs> Call back. After a week. I'm pretty sure we see his ass in that show at one point. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch it. <laughs> it was trash. My mum watched it. Yeah. Yeah. It's meant to be trash. Just like the Real Housewives of wherever is meant to be trash. That's that's this generation's soap opera. Coronation oh, Street God, and all these other... Coronation Street and all these soap operas are trying to stay relevant by having bullying stories. And everybody's watching the Real Housewives for cat fights instead. Someone gets thrown in a swimming pool every episode. Right. Somebody yanks on somebody else's wig every episode. Do you know what? I wasn't really up for this storyline because I assume that Tommy O and Tracy are going to get it on. Yeah, they are. I think I'm kind of in it. I'm kind of in it. (laughs) I'm kind of into it as well. I didn't think I was going to be. As much as I love Steve and Tracy, Tracy together. Because how conflicted is Steve going to be? Right? It's going to be a thruple, isn't it? <laughs> but do you know what? Is it going to be a thruple in the sense that Steve's in the room, but sitting in the corner right. saying and doing nothing? Well, no, he's masturbating, obviously. <laughs> but do you know what? That's another stain on the ceiling. I really liked when Tracy slept with Paula. Remember when Tracy slept with Paula? I liked that as well. That was great. I liked that, just the randomness of that. Right. A little infidelity, you know, goes a long way in a show like this. This is a... But this is fun infidelity. Tracy's 2-0 up on this then. And this feels like fun infidelity. Right. This isn't... This isn't... This isn't Sarah sleeping with a guy who's going to try to murder her husband. Yeah, this at isn't some love point. triangle territory. No. This does give me the opportunity to say again, though, that every triangle is a love triangle if you love triangles. <laughs> okay, fatty but, Arbuckle. Uh, but although that, although it, it is a triangle of sorts, it's not. It's not the same storyline. No, they're both in love with Tommy O, and that's what makes it funny. <laughs> right. He's a good-looking man. He is. He is. He's taller than I remember. Oh, he's taller than Tracy and Steve. They're no Harlem Globetrotters, let's face it. He's like, and I don't know if this is maybe just camera angles, but it's almost like the top of his head is at like the top of the door frame. The door in, jam? In is, the, that, is that what that is? The jamb? <laughs> I think it might be the jamb. I don't think you're supposed to pronounce the B. Yeah, and I'm I like just pronouncing it just to prove that I know that it's there. And I like I like the salt and pepperiness of his hair. That's yeah. always something I've enjoyed. And the fact that Tim and Kev and Kirk are going to be 
Some, somewhat involved in this just kind of makes it funnier. And Steve was never. Steve's never been put on this planet to be married for a long time. No, no. Because, because if he, he stays ha- married for a long time, he won't have more kids. How is he meant to marry somebody else? Right, and have more kids, and have like surprise kids show up at his door ten years from now. I do like Steve and Tracy together, but Tracy's not intended to be. Tracy's not a character who should be married to anybody for a long period of time either. Because how is she going to murder somebody? The nice thing about this relationship is it dates back to, you know, the early days. Well, not the early days, but you know, the nineties and the the two thousands, where they were, when they had Amy through a a one night stand when Steve was with somebody else and Tracy, I think, was not. But the history is the history of the show, so it's kind of nice that they're together finally because. She always fancied him at school. It was a long time ago. But it's, I think it's kind of served its purpose, right? Right, yeah. They got married for a bit, or they got married out of convenience, I mm-hmm. think. So, yeah, it's maybe maybe it has served its use. When you put Steve right next to Tommy O, <laughs> it's kind of unfair. Especially when he's doing his O face. <laughs> I've never seen a Muppet orgasm before. It's it's quite enlightening. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> what a mess. Probably squeaks when you stand in it. Alright, let's move on to our final storyline tonight. Do you want a bet? Don't do that, that's genuinely terrifying. <laughs> On Monday, Joel comes into the flat, carefully balancing three empty cups of coffee for him, Dee Dee and Ed. Joel and Dee Dee make plans for dinner and she offers to cook at home for a change. Dee Dee is head over heels and Ed spots it before opening an unwelcome piece of mail. Right, and and Ed drinks his coffee black like a real man. Absolutely. Dee Dee spots this and when she can't find the letter later, she knows they're from creditors and he's been hiding them. Their final demands, some of them months old... She tells him he needs to put his big boy pants on and deal with this, so he decides to check to see if Gary is still interested in buying the yard. Ed has a word with Gary in the rovers. Gary's still keen, so they arrange to meet to get his hands on the books and the stuff on Friday. Why this can't be done sooner, no one knows. So that something else can happen in another storyline, which will put Gary off. Yeah, it doesn't happen on Friday, it happens on Wednesday. That's right. After dinner... Joel and Dee Dee are smooching on the couch when Ed comes home, enthused about Gary's interest in the yard, but didn't know about the romantic meal that he was about to step in on, and he's just brought a fresh goes meal for two. Joel makes his excuses and leaves. What is the deal with this joker? He's so nice. Ah, oh, so untrustworthy. How is that untrustworthy? To be like, you, know, you know what? Your dad has something to celebrate. Go right ahead. It's no big deal. We can have a nice romantic dinner. Later, some other time. He's up to something. He's not. He's just genuinely nice. On Tuesday, Dee Dee's Ed is having issues with sleeping on the couch. Dee Dee thinks uh, sorting things out with Michael will get him back in his old bed, but Ed doesn't know where to start. So Dee Dee goes to work on Michael, who refuses to budge on the matter. Ed is a waster, and then just to back up his case, there's a knock at the door. It's the bailiffs looking for five grand of shite from their house to settle the debts. How very fucking hell, says Michael. 
He's furious and Ed comes along and reckons that he has a better option and he leads the bailiffs away from the house using cheese and power tools. The bailiffs taking away his livelihood is better than taking away his house. He sits alone in the builder's yard office and weeps. Damon comes to see a depressed Ed at the builder's yard. Damon is a really good friend to Ed, maybe through ulterior motives or not, but he reckons that he can borrow tools or lease them to get the job done on the pub refurb and then everyone gets paid. He needs Ed for his experience, not his supplies. And this this gives Ed a much-needed boost. Yes. On Wednesday, Ed is still struggling with his uh, back in the morning. He's up bright and early to meet with Gary, and he has some good news from a mate of his, Marcus, who has a bed settee going free in his garden shed, so he'll be out of Dee Dee's hair. Then Joel comes out of the bathroom, and Ed assumes that they've had their hole. Joel is embarrassed and awkwardly leaves, and Dee Dee insists it was innocent. They were just watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And sure. Then, <coughs> yeah. And then it was really funny because Joel's like, Joel says goodbye to Dee Dee, and then he says goodbye to Ed, and then remembers that Ed is not Dee Dee. Because <laughs> it looked like he was about ready to go in for a smooch, and then he's like, oh, wait. There is something up with that guy. There's not. He's just cute. And then the rolls, Ed comes in and Michael gets up to leave, giving his dad a mouthful on the way. Ronnie listens to this and thinks Michael should give his dad the benefit of the doubt. He's already done that, Ronnie. The ship has sailed. Ed goes to the bistro and meets up with Gary, who wastes no time in telling him that he won't be buying the yard after all. He has too much going on in another storyline. Ed is crushed. Which is a stupid excuse because there's nothing in that other storyline that means that he doesn't have the money to buy the yard. In fact... If he bought the yard, it might be the distraction that Liam needs. And Ed, maybe the source of what Liam will use to murder Mason. Right. Like a circular saw. Oh, I'd pay to see that. Ed is crushed thinking that Gary promised, but Gary did no such thing. It'll be like that scene in The Beekeeper. Yes. <laughs> Leanne watches this unfold with interest. Back at Dee Ed moans about Gary pulling out. Dee-Dee's, and I like that. Dee-Dee's, oh, wait. That's what she said. Dee Dee insists there'll be other opportunities. Sorry, Deb. Then Ed gets a call from Marcus to let him know his niece will be staying, so he has to rescind the offer. Dee Dee insists there'll be other sofa cities in a shed. Ronnie has a word with Michael later and explains that despite this being history repeating itself, Ed is Michael's dad and Michael is living in Ed's house, while Ed might end up homeless and all this. Everyone makes mistakes, but family don't abandon each other. And then Leanne shows up to explain the, the Gary meeting and how Ed looked desperate. And this gives Michael plenty to chew over. So Ed settles down for a night's sleep in the builder's yard with an electric fire and a sleeping bag and some photos to make him cry. Some time passes and Michael has realised that he's been a twat to his dad. And he hasn't really. No, he's absolutely justified in everything he said. he has said and done to Ed. He's allowed to be angry about this. Right. Especially when he has his own kid to think about. Right. He has absolute permission to say, you know what? No more chances. But when he goes to see his dad at the builder's yard, it's on fire. Fire! Michael goes in to rescue his dad, but in the process gets himself stuck in the fire. Where's hope? Michael really is useless. Exactly. Where is hope? Where is hope in all this? Where is hope? We haven't seen hope all week. And that is suspicious. (laughs) It is suspicious. Where is she? But only Michael could go and rescue someone and end up getting trapped himself. Yes. After his little sobbing incident, though, Ed is going to get some chips yes. so he can eat his problems. Right. He, and so he can walk down the street and then 
dramatically drop his chips and we get a close-up of the chips strewn on the street. What a waste is what I thought. <laughs> he and Damon see the fire and hear the screams. They break into the builder's yard but can't get upstairs. So Ed goes round the back and up to the office, breaks down the door and rescues Michael. The ambulance comes along while Michael gasps for air, lucky to be alive. In the commotion, Ed explains to Didi that he suspects a dodgy electric fire might have caused it. Michael wants Ed to go with him to the hospital, and meanwhile, a fireman is telling PC Tinker that the builder's yard was stinking the white spirits. Well, it is the builder's yard, but Tinker bobs about excitedly at this supposed clue. He's in this a lot. Third time, I think that might equal a record. Mm. Three times in a week. Ed and Dee Dee are at Michael's bedside in the hospital while Joel looks after Glory. Something up with that boy. Would you stop? Michael, He's just a very nice person. A very nice person because it exists in the show. Michael has been getting the red carpet treatment from being Aggie's wee boy. In comes Tinker to ask how the fire started. Dee Dee wants to know in what capacity Tinker is asking these questions. Tinker says... Both as a policeman and as a friend. Yes, and where was Drew Barrymore in all of this? Where's the fire starter? Twisted fire starter? I'm a fire starter. Ed explains what happened. Ah. How he went to the chippy, he'd left the fire on, and then he and Damon saw that the place was in flames. And this seems to satisfy Tinker. Ronnie shows up later, relieved to see Michael is recovering, and to hear that Michael has now forgiven Ed and allows him allows him to move back into his own house. Right. Swain. Then at the cop shop, Swain is hiding from Tinker, but he tracks her down to bother her with questions. He has anecdotal evidence that Ed had reason to start that fire as an insurance job. We didn't start the fire. Swain tells him to wait on the fire report like a normal person for fuck's sake. Swain out. Swain. Meanwhile, Ed is happily back at home thinking the worst of his issues are behind him. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Damon started the fire. Oh, you think Damon did it? I th- yeah, I don't think Ed started it. Or hope. Okay, maybe hope. But I think it might have been Damon. Why would Damon start the fire? Because he's trying to turn over a new leaf. <laughs> right. And do illegal and that's arson. And do illegal things to help a friend. Cause the way the way Ed was acting, Ed is not very good at lying. Well he's hidden he's, he's hidden the gambling from his family for a long time, so he's, I think he's decent at lying. He's not. He's not, we've seen him lie, and we see through him. Every time. So what lie was he telling Damon? I, I don't think he was. He No. So I, what are you talking about then? No. When he says, when he talks about the heater, and it must have been the heater. Well, the heater was on. Right. But we don't see anything with white spirits. No, we don't. That fire looked fake, though, didn't it? It looked very controlled and very, like, in very just, like, specific places where specific so. things are burning. You know, oh, it's a controlled fire. Well, well w- w- it, 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 when Michael first goes in, it seems very controlled and very, like, oh, this is where they 
very carefully lit this one. And this is where they very carefully lit this one. But then when the roof collapses and traps him up there, why he didn't see those stairs that Ed ran up is beyond me. He couldn't open the door to get through to them. Why not? Because the plot said that he couldn't. Oh, okay. It's all right then. Again, I'm not clear on why you think Damon's involved in this. Because I don't think Ed did it. I think we're supposed to think that Ed did it, but I don't think he did it because when he says, I think it, w- it must have been the heater, it's, it, it's genuine. Because yeah, typically when seem... we see him lie, we can see through it. He didn't seem uh, guilty. worried when Tinker arrived. No. And when he was relaxing back at home, right. he genuinely seemed relieved. Right. That- his troubles were gone now. Right, yeah. That's the debtors paid off. Well, some D- of them. Damon's going to help him. Right. He's he's back in with his laddie again. Right. Etc. etc. It right. just seems kind of at ease. Yeah. Whereas if you knew that the police were sniffing about, maybe you wouldn't be. And plus, if you were stupid enough to douse the place in white spirits, then you'd think that the, the fire brigade are going to figure out what's been going on right fairly yeah. swiftly here that's that's the one thing that kind of that kind of blocks me because you would think damon would be smart enough not to start a fire like that but maybe hope wouldn't be i genuinely haven't <laughs> i'm not writing hope off yet she has a tendency to start fires. yeah she doesn't have that headless doll anymore though where she hides her her Matches. little fire starter lighter yes there wasn't there wasn't two rocks and some kindling. How do you know? Because I saw it was just a lighter and some matches. I'm, I'm not writing off the chances that, that Hope might might be behind this. Just because we haven't seen her for a while right, doesn't really yeah. mean anything. But or maybe it was just the just the electric fire, the electric here. Then what was smelling of, of spirits? It's a builder's yard. It's going to smell of things. Also, what I don't like. I'm sure they have like things like turpentine and stuff there, sure. right? And paint and stains. Tinker is so happy to ignore crime, but he's not here, right? Because he's racist. <laughs> Let's not forget. It was weird though when he, he was- did. He did decide to. Just ignore Dee Dee and was it Dee Dee and Michael a little while ago? If if forgot about what they were doing, I don't think he's racist here. I do think he's racist. I don't think he's racist here. And like when he's in the hospital with them, he's actually like smiling, which was weird. But it's like, oh, he's at ease here. He's smiling. He's joking around with them as they're joking around because these are his friends, his black friends. He's not racist. He's got black friends. Right. <sighs> it wasn't wasn't f- it great, though. To see Swain's, Swain, yes. Swain's reaction to see them was like, oh, oh for, for fuck's sake. sake. What's this twat after? How is he still working here? What is it? What is it, PC? And then he's like, oh, nothing that can wait. And then he's. And then he's like, but wait, let me just tell you. All right, I, all right, Columbo, what is it? Just one more thing. 
That was hilarious. It was. She, ra- and she rates Tinker as highly as we do, obviously. And it's always good to see her. Yeah. We missed her. I haven't seen her for a while. That's right. Just a couple of weeks. I don't think Michael got told anything differently to what he's been told in the past about his dad, but whatever it was, was enough to make him think twice and maybe he's been angry for long enough now. Well, and also his dad saved his life. And his dad saved his life. Right. Nothing better than a bit of life saving to right. get into someone's good books, right? Right, yes. And he saw his life flash before his eyes when he thought he was going to burn to death. It was hilarious how he just wouldn't shut the fuck up. Everyone was like, Michael, stop talking. You've got smoke in your lungs. Right. And he just... That's Michael, though. He's a chatterbox. He's a bit of a chatterbox. Uh, I was quite excited about the fire. I genuinely... You genuinely thought Michael was going to die? I, I didn't think it was impossible. Hmm. Because just because we're in the, the business at the moment of heaping misery on the head. Right. So losing a son... Right. That would be terrible. That would count as being misery, I guess. But right? then Dee Dee would be the only child they have on the show. James she, would have to come back. James got she's a, me- a... She's the best one. James got a name check this week from Tommy O. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't, didn't James so the, so the Bailey... Larson, oddly. Didn't James Bailey used to live around here? Oh. Yeah, next yeah, door. Right next door. Right next door. <laughs> <sighs> I, I wonder if this story is going to bleed into maybe suddenly they're going to try they're going to try they're going to try Tinker being a dedicated policeman shtick on us again and see if no. it see if it holds this time it that won't. he's determined to get his man and but again <laughs> this is going to have nothing to do with him if this is anything, right it's and it's like the, the wrong man and then he gets the wrong man because he thinks Ed did it and that just proves he's racist when in, uh, it was, in actuality it was a white dude <laughs> Or a white little girl. <laughs> or both. I'm not, not writing that off. They are about the same height. <laughs> he is very short. He is. And that makes it funny. <laughs> oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Uh, is it Gemma and Bernie looking at the stars and accepting that... Paul has a right to his own fate? Or is it Gemma taking a shite? I think it might be Gemma taking a shite. No, let's 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 keep shite out of the moment of the week. The moment of the week is is a pure part of the podcast. One of the yes. purest. Yes. So let's let's make it ethereal and angelic and eternal by having people sitting on chairs outside a, an RV. Who doesn't have memories of doing something similar to that? Right. Sitting in a caravan site, looking at the stars. Talking about euthanasia. Talking about, talking about euthanasia. Wondering if you can hold on to that shite until the morning. Absolutely. Let's, let's call it. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Billy being frantic. So what bit did Stelly say that she hates him? It it was it was right before David comes out and says, "Well, that's great," you know, when he's like grumbling about it and thinking, you know, that it's a bad idea. How dare they take him away in an RV? It's good to get other eyes every now and again, yeah, fresh eyes on this to just remind you that Billy is awful. Yes, 
He did have a scene without Paul. And that was nice. See, then on Twitter is counting this as being a a Paulless scene. And it was Paulless because Paul wasn't in it. Right. But it happened because of Paul. That still Paul's not in it. Does that still count? It counts. I'd be tempted not to count that. I, it, Billy doing the bump absolutely has nothing to do with Paul. Yeah, I guess maybe by his absence. I'd still, still maybe not be quite sure about it. But anyway, what was in? Billy being frantic for in- no reason. For a moment of the week. You've seen it once. You've seen it a thousand oh, times. You've seen it a thousand times this week. So what is your score out of ten? Uh, three and a half. No, worse than no, last week. No, no. Th- there was a lot of the stupid bullying story, and it got and it got really, really dumb. But there were also really delightful parts of this week. The Tommy O storyline, starting Gemma and Bernie finding out about the pills. Four and a half. It's a six for me this week. Oh. It's a little bit better than just straight down the middle for those reasons yeah the tommy oath stuff all right the, the i'll RV give it a stuff. five i'll give it a five i'll bump it up to a five and a, and a week when there's a fire <laughs> we're like yeah well that was kind of middle of the road the fire didn't burn long enough and no one died that's a bummer but if it is hope that did it <laughs> This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French, Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy and Shandy. Muchas gracias. If you've ever put your back out doing a dance move, we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review. Please do that. Please. On the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Please. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.